Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to this early service, which is earlier than it usually is. Thank you all for making it here. Thank you for resetting your clocks, and just thank you for for coming together as we continue to worship our Lord today. Now, today I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 12, and the scripture reading actually begins in verse 22, but, but I'm going to be referring frequently to the first 21 verses of this chapter because this passage that we are about to read today needs to, needs to be understood within the context in which Jesus gave this teaching. There's another time when he talked about worry, which is the topic for today, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking to thousands of people. But this is a time when he talks about the same subject simply to his disciples and to those who are gathered close to them. So it's a little bit more of an intimate conversation. And so as we turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, I invite you to not only read along with me, but to also keep your thumb in your pew Bible or in your own Bible so that you can make re- frequent references back to those passages before. So beginning in chapter 12 of Luke's gospel in the 22nd verse. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and or about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, And no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask that today you would speak to us your eternal word amidst the changing words of our generation and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Jesus says in this passage several times, do not be anxious. He says, do not worry. Yesterday, I put my wife and 19-year-old son on an international flight for a spring break trip. My daughter moved to another state to begin her first adult job three weeks ago. I have become an expert in worry. 
I'm a black belt in this sort of thing right now. I mean, I was worried that nobody would be here this morning, that everybody would forget to set their clocks. Actually, I was not worried about y'all. I was worried about me. Would I remember to set my clock with Morgan being gone? That's the truth of it. But what is worry? In clinical terms, worry is nervousness or agitation, often something about something that is about to happen or going to happen. And we've all heard the word anxiety, which is the medical mental health term used to describe the situation when that worry begins to actually take control of our lives. Now, a couple of years ago, my mother introduced me to a word that I've shared with you in the past. You may have heard it before. The word is awfulizing. Awfulizing is a term coined by psychologist Albert Ellis, and it refers to an irrational and dramatic thought pattern characterized by the tendency to overestimate the potential seriousness or negative consequences of events, situations, or perceived threats. What awfulizing means is that you take whatever you're worried about and you play it out to the worst case scenario. The plane goes down. L doesn't have any friends. What we don't, they get lost. They get stopped at customs, something like that. That's awfulizing when we take it to the the last logical conclusive end. Does that sound like something that you have ever done? If you haven't, then you're not a parent. But awfulizing is a form of worry. This is one of those words that describes something that all of us have done. It's the kind of worry that makes you think about the worst case scenario. And what do we do with that? When we worry, we chew over thoughts about bad things happening to us or other people. Our fears create fictions, and we begin to think of those fictions as prophecies. And worry then leads to depression. As columnist Matt Inglis has written in an extended study of young girls, Gen Z, and depression, Mentally processing ambiguous events with a negative spin, that's just what depression is. Worry distorts our reality, and it takes us to the darker side of life. It increases stress. It leads to more anxiety. It leads to depression and anger. It impairs thinking. It impairs motivation and concentration and memory and problem-solving. It can force us to drive people away when we need them the most, the people who could support us. Worry has real-life consequences. Especially after COVID, anxiety is a serious mental and physical health epidemic. The malady, real anxiety, is a fact. It's an issue of identity, and it's also an issue of security. Now, as a church, we understand that real, deep anxiety is an issue of mental health. But Jesus understood that anxiety is not just a mental and a physical health issue. It's also an issue of spiritual health. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus talked to his disciples about worry because he knew that they were beginning to worry about things. Jesus was getting more famous, and his disciples were becoming more well-known, and they were starting to get worried. They were followed by huge crowds, and they were always being watched. 
They were always in the spotlight or under the microscope. And now, of course, there was the temptation that all of this attention would go to their heads and they would be tempted by the fame. But there was also a danger. They were getting lots of attention, but not all of that attention was good. There were lots of things for them to worry about. Arrest, violence, the Romans, the religious leaders, and simply wondering if they would ever have enough food and provisions as they wandered through the countryside. You can only imagine that all of that contact with sick people and lepers made them worry about their own health. But Jesus identified two root, two foundational issues at the heart of their anxiety. On the one hand, anxiety begins to take over when something or someone undermines or threatens our sense of security, our sense of health, our sense of well-being, our safety. And in Luke 12, 4, right before this passage, Jesus names the threat. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Why would Jesus say something like that? It's because Jesus had lots of admirers, but he also had lots of critics. And some of those critics were turning into enemies, and their critiques were becoming threats. The danger to Jesus was becoming more and more real, and the disciples were starting to get worried. I mean, what would this mean for Jesus, for the mission, for them, and for their families if things got dangerous? I bet that there was some awfulizing going on among the disciples. What if we get arrested? What if we go to prison? What if Jesus is assassinated or stoned to death for going against the religious leaders? Awfulizing. And so Jesus named the fear. He called it out. But he also named another deep cause of anxiety, an even more insidious cause. Anxiety also begins to take over when something or someone undermines or threatens our sense of identity. That is how we see ourselves or who we think we are. In verse 12, 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You know, Jesus uses this word hypocrisy a lot. Do you know what a hypocrite is? I mean, we all know that a a hypocrite is someone who preaches one thing and does another, who tells you not to do something while they do it themselves, who who talks a big game but fakes it. The one who says, the rules are for thee but not for me. That's how we commonly know a hypocrite. But do you know what a, a hypocrite really is, what it was historically, what it meant historically? The word hypocrite is a Greek word for a kind of actor. An actor who in a play would play many different characters by constantly switching masks. Put it behind his back for one, pull it up, switch it when it was time to take on another role. You know, in other words, I want the audience to think that I am this character, so I wear this mask. But then I switch masks, I put on a false face so that you will think that I am someone else. You know, social media would have been the perfect platform for that type of hypocrisy. Nowadays, people say, I will will carefully curate my image online, showing only the prosperous, the beautiful, so that people will never see my real problems and pain. 
You know, I think about the, the disciples and the fact that they were beginning to worry about their reputation. What do people think of Jesus? And what will they think of us? Will people accept us? Will they approve of our mission? What if my friends are ashamed and turn their backs on me? What if my family turns their backs on me? Will they respect us for following Jesus from Nazareth? Or will they just think that we're crazy? Unfortunately, the word hypocrite has become so universal because we all do it. We worry and we put on masks because we're, we're scared of what people will think of us. People put on different masks, either to gain their approval or for the sake of manipulation and control. We put on masks to satisfy people's expectations or to hide who we are and what we really believe. And Jesus knew that one day his followers would be tempted to deny him. And they'd be tempted to put on a mask to save themselves, to save their families, and to save their reputation and their own sense of identity. And so again, Jesus named the fear. Fear, the root of worry, the root of anxiety is fear. And the spiritual power of fear is that it gives every, everyday things power over us. Think about this. If you're always worried about money, then money has power over you. If you're always worried about health, then disease and sickness have power over you. If you're always worried about the next upcoming election, then politics and politicians have power over you. If you're always worried about your career and success, then work has power over you. If you are always worried about popularity, then the approval of people has power over you. Now, this is not to say that bad things don't or won't happen or that these threats or suffering are not real. I mean, crime is real, cancer is real, unfairness and injustice are real, poverty is real, war is real, bullying is real, loneliness is real. And so the question is not the reality of the threats. The question is our response to them. Again, looking back at the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in the larger chapter, he points out that the world's remedy or the world's response to our worry is to trust in our own resources. And to illustrate this, Jesus tells a parable, a little story about a rich man who thought that he could eliminate his worry by making a whole lot of money and getting everything he would ever need and storing it up in huge barns so that he would be invulnerable to all of life's threats. In verses 18 and 19, he says this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. If he just amassed enough wealth, enough capital, enough influence, enough power and control, then he could relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what the world's answer to worry is? The world's answer to worry is more. More power, 
more importance, more influence, more wealth, so that you can control and protect yourself. But in this story, God reminded the man that no amount of money can protect us from the realities of life. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? The world tells us that if we can just save enough, spend enough, gather enough money, power, approval, influence, popularity, if we can gather enough of those things, we will be untouchable. Think about it. That is the single message of 90% of every advertisement that you've ever seen or heard. If you buy or buy into the right product, policy, or program, then you will have peace of mind, and then we can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the world's remedy to worry. But God's remedy is something else. The Lord's remedy, the Father's remedy to worry is not a product or a policy or a program. The Father's remedy is a person. The Father's remedy is confidence in him. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When the world says that your life, your security, depends on what you have and what you can get, Jesus says that your life is defined by what he gives. And what he gives us is his kingdom. He gives us the faith and the vision to believe that our father is really king. And that he is really in control. That nothing escapes his power and love. That all things must work together for good for those who are in Christ. And, and that even when we don't understand how or why, that what God allows, he redeems. You see, worry takes over when what we see in front of us looks bigger than our vision of the kingdom of God. It takes over when we try to do life our way, without him. It happens when we forget that God is king and that he is really in control. And beloved, I do that all the time. I forget that he's really in control. So Jesus says, there's more to your life, your eternity. There's more to God's plan than the food you put in your stomach or the clothes you hang on your body. And there's far more to God's plan for you than this moment alone. Whatever trouble is making you anxious right now. In the world as it is, yes, these little things matter way too much. But in the kingdom of God, God's vision for us and our vision for him puts these things in the right perspective. When the world says that your identity is defined by the masks you wear and the approval of others, Jesus says that your identity is not defined by what you have and what you wear, 
but by who the Father has made you to be. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. Considers the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then he says, the Lord says, oh, how much more value are you than the birds? Why can we have confidence in God? Because your father values you. He values you. You matter to God. Did you know that? You matter to God. He loves you. He cares about you. And he cares about you because he made you. Psalm 103 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The passage we read this morning, Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. He knows your name. I've called you by name, and you are mine. Earlier in the passage, he even goes to an extreme. In verse 7, he even says, why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered How can that be? He knows how many hairs are on your head because he sees you and he is close enough to count them. I can see the hair on your head right now, most of you. But I'm not close enough to count it. He is. He is. Worry takes over when we forget who he really is and who we really are to him. He has called you by name and said, you are mine. And then Jesus proved how valuable we are to him by giving his own life in exchange for ours on the cross. And then at the empty tomb, he proved That in fact, even beyond death, one of our greatest worries, he has the power to keep his promises and make a difference in our lives now and forever. You know, at the end of every service, as part of the benediction, I pray that the Lord would hold you in the palm of his hand. But you know what? It's one thing to say it, to believe that he's holding you in the palm of his hand and not to worry. It's one thing to say it and another thing to believe it. While they are far from home, working and traveling, do I trust that God really does love my daughter, love my son, love my wife more than I could ever possibly love them, that they are more valuable to him than they could ever be to me, and that he has them, my own little flock, my own little family, in the palm of his hand. 
What about my own life? As I work, will the Lord take care of me? What about this little flock, little flock? How much are you worth to God? I'll tell you how much you are, you're worth. You are worth the life of his son. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck you from his hand, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Your father values you not because of what the world tells you you ought to be, but because of who you are. Made by him, loved by him, claimed by him, bought by him, all by the blood of Jesus. Do you know how much you're worth to your heavenly father? So what are you worried about today? What are you worried about today? Fear not, little flock. Your heavenly Father knows what you want and he knows what you really need. He values you and it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to you today because sometimes we just need the reassurance that you really do care. Because we are told constantly to stress about this, to worry about that. We're even told, oh God, that anxiety is such a strong power and such an epidemic that it will overwhelm us. And Lord, we do not want to be trapped. We don't want to be controlled by these things. How can we possibly get out of this? Well, we can't except through you. And you have told us not to be afraid. You've told us that we are valuable to you. And you've told us that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We don't have to wrestle it away from you. We don't have to steal it. We don't have to fake it. It is your good pleasure to give it to us. So, Lord, secure us in our identity. Help us to know that you are bigger than any problem that we have. Help us to right-size the gift that you offer us. In Jesus' name, amen.